0: Anyway, so near, Al- automata. Yeah. Automata. Yes. I beat it this morning. That game got me fucked up.
1: <laughs> I've heard that a lot. <sighs>
2: What's up, pals? This is episode 123 of the Super Nerd Pals Podcast. I'm your host for today, Chris Sampson.
0: And I'm Stan Godurski.
2: And it's another weekly Sunday morning edition of Stan and Chris. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Ryan and Andy can't make it, but we still have a great show.
0: So. Stan and Chris in the morning, coming to you from the East Coast. Pew, 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 pew Tiger. Uppercut. It's Tiger in the A.M. with Stan and
1: Chris.
2: (laughs) (laughs) 123.fm! But yeah, so let's dive into the news flash, the news bus. Uh, So just a brief update. Uh, It's been live for about four or five days now. But the Overwatch summer games are now live. Uh, We have a bunch of brand new skins. And Stan, what do you think of the new skins?
0: I love them. They're great. They're great. Except for Junkrat. I don't like his... His dumb the gl- cricket thing.
2: I thought it was rugby.
0: Was it? Yeah. I don't know what's going on. I do have a nice little update about it, though. I finally got my American McCree skin.
2: Nice, GG, well played.
0: I had to pay for it, but whatever. Uh, that's all good. It's all good.
2: <laughs> uh, I in general, I th- I really like all the skins. Um, I I'm in love with like summer barbecue dads. Seventy six. It's, yeah. it's just just the, the Hawaiian shirt and I I I was cracking up because someone on Twitter retweeted the skin reveal and then they compared it to I think it was like the dad from Ben Ten. And <laughs> it looks exactly the same. It's like oh my god, this is awesome. Other than that, I'm really, really fond of Sombra's snorkeling skin. And this is beginning a lot of Controversy, or maybe not controversy, but I guess a lot of debate. So, so people can't decide if they love or hate um, McCree's lifeguard skin. Like some people are saying, it's like midlife crisis. Owen Wilson. I think it's just so ridiculous and over the top. I love it. So I don't know. What are your th- thoughts on this? This amazing and important issue over time, Stan.
0: His arm looks like Big Boss's arm, so I'm cool <laughs> with it. Like this is like beach Big Boss. <laughs>
2: Beach, big boss. Beach volleyball, solid.
0: <laughs> yeah, this yes. whole this whole event's like an anime beach episode, anyway. So basically,
2: yeah, yeah. little. Uh, I mean, this is uh, a secret, but if you get to the kill screen in in the Overwatch Summer Games, and unlocks a a trip to the hot springs. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this is, in general is pretty cool, and like I said before, uh, you, you still get access to all the old skins. So. GG Blizzard. Which You're you can doing...
0: finally pay for, thank goodness.
2: Yeah, yeah. With, with, with credits. I mean, last year you couldn't do that, but...
0: They fixed their mistakes. My favorite, my, my favorite thing about Overwatch.
2: Yes, good QA, good constructive feedback, so thank you everyone for, for doing that. So, aside from Overwatch, uh, the only other piece of news today is Fantasy Flight Games they're producing a Fallout-themed board game that's going to be coming out, like, Q3 this year. Um, they've done a lot of other board game adaptations of video game properties, uh, so, like, XCOM. Um, they're also really well-known for uh, Star Wars X-Wing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this game is based on the Fallout 3 and 4 worlds, and it's pretty interesting... It, it has a lot of similarities to like the, the the classic features of Fallout franchise, or at least like the more recent Fallout games. So there's a a bit of an emphasis on player freedom. So uh, you can choose to work together or by yourself. Um, you can explore all the regions. Uh, you have a bunch of different win conditions and different gameplay victory paths. So you can. You know, try to like, grind and level up, uh, collect all the loot or caps or companions. Uh, you can pursue main quest lines or just wander around, just and like like you do in the actual games. The game is gonna be one to four players, and you can. There's a bunch of classes you can you can play as. You could be a scavenger, vault dweller. Uh, some it could be a member of the Brotherhood of Steel. Uh, you can also be super mutants or ghouls. Uh, You also, in the game, you manage stats, like in the game, uh, or the special characterization system. Uh, You manage all these stats uh, from a sideboard. You can uh, pursue or play out a number of pre-generated quests. And really famous areas from the game are explorable to you. So you have the Capital Wasteland, the Pit, the Commonwealth, and Far Harbor. And in order to win, uh, you have to achieve the conditions on... Uh, the, the win conditions are your secret cards that you're handed out at the beginning of the game. They're called influence cards. Influence. It's also a form of currency, so you can use it to gain access to territories or uh, entry to game factions. So uh, this game sounds pretty cool. Uh, we I know we reported on this some time ago, uh, and since then uh they've released a bunch of assets of the of what the cards the games are what the cards and conditions look like what the board looks like the models themselves look really detailed and really beautiful i think i'm pretty sure they come unpainted so if you're a tabletop uh miniature wargamer and you like miniature uh miniature painting uh this these look like really great models to dive in, into Speaking of miniature wargaming, uh, this was completely new to me when I was researching this piece of news. But Fantasy Flight also announced another Fallout-themed game in April called Fallout Wasteland Warfare. Uh, it's being published by Modifius Entertainment, and it's unlike uh, the t- this tabletop game uh, of it's more similar to Warhammer 40K, which and I. Discussed a couple of episodes ago, where it's it seems to me like it's gonna be more about miniature collecting and wargaming and scenario and like setting up scenarios and maybe like skirmishes. So uh, I'm really diving back into this huge 40k kick and just doing all the sculpting and modeling and and eventually painting. And the fact that an entire miniature wargaming game based on uh, Fallout is coming out. Uh, I think this actually appeals to me more than the other Fallout games coming out, but that's just me.
0: Do you paint uh, the the little the little friends? Do you paint them?
2: Uh, not yet. Like that's one of the reasons why I've always been ambivalent about miniature miniature war gaming. Uh, because I suck at painting, and I know like the only reason. I mean, well, it takes practice. I mean, the more you practice, the more you uh, yeah. get be- better. But I, I. I am just always afraid that I will forever mess up my my miniatures or just it's just just maybe I don't know maybe I leave it out or maybe use the wrong finish and the the paint starts melting and it just looks like a giant blob. Mm. Um, but it it really helps that there's a Gabe's workshop nearby, like literally like five ten minute drive away. So everyone in that community is really cool and. They do offer lessons, and they they also offer tips and the, all the other f- customers that I frequent there just hang out they're they're just super helpful uh, They give you great tips, like one of them just randomly gave me like a a small hand chisel uh, just so, just because I was starting out, and I was still grabbing uh, like sculptor and painting
1: equipment so it's
2: pretty cool and I don't know I, since we last talked with Andy. Uh, if he dived into forty k, but uh, I'm I'm diving into it, and even though it's um, it's going slow and steady, I think it's it's just fun. It's just like a nice way to pass the time, and uh, and I'm just diving into a great community. And one last thing uh, about the Fallout tabletop games: uh, this game sh- should be available to demo at Gen Con next week. Uh, I'm going to Gen Con to exhibit with my company. So I'm going to see if I can go out and demo it, because it sounds really cool. And if I do have a chance to demo it, I'll come back and uh, report my findings. Cool. Uh, so that's it for the news. And Stan, uh, so uh, before we recorded this, you and Zach did something extra special. Can you tell us more about it?
0: Yeah, so earlier this week, Zach and I sat down. Uh, Zach read through Final Fantasy V by Chris Kohler, which is published by Boss Fight Books. Uh, He read it for us, and he gave us his book report, and we're going to air that right now. We recorded earlier this week, so without further ado, we'll be right back in one second with Zach's Final Fantasy V book review. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and we're back. Joining me for a very special review is Zach. Hi, Zach.
1: Hello. So Zach, you you recently consumed
0: some sort of media for us at Super Nerd Pals. I did. Um, Tasty yeah. media. Uh, Final Fantasy V, written by Chris Kohler, for Boss Fight Books. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, currently That's on impressive. Kickstarter as season four with a bunch of other books. But um, you read this one, so well. Tell me about it. What'd you think?
1: Uh, I actually really liked it. I. I was interested in it because when I played my Final Fantasy Marathon, you might remember that from an early episode. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was doing my Final Fantasy Marathon, it was the first time i had played Final Fantasy V, or 4 or 6 for that matter. And everyone always talks about how good 4 and 6 are. And no one ever talks about 5, probably because 5 was never released on the SNES in the West. Um, it didn't come over until the PlayStation, like 8 years after it was We got Mystic Quest. Yeah, yeah, totally. The book talks about that. (laughs) like, And because when I played the marathon, I actually liked 5 more than 4 or 6, and I thought, like, how does this not get any more attention than it does? Like, it's such a good game, so deep, so complex, so interesting, good story, Mm good characters. I loved it. And so to see if there's a book about 5 coming out instead of 4 or 6, or 7 for that matter... I was, I thought that was great, you know, giving like, uh, an underappreciated gem more spotlight and deserved recognition in my opinion. And that's basically Chris's opinion too, is, you know, he he loved it, he thought it was a great game, but for him it was a totally different scenario. He was a fan of Final Fantasy before I was. When he was into it, it was a case where he was following, like, it was the early days of the internet. And he had to import it from Japan. But then importing it from Japan meant he had to play the different size... Because, you know, they had the Famicom, or the Super Famicom, not the uh, SNES, and they were different size cartridges. So was, that was the region locking. Is, it was Instead of, like, a behind-the-scenes locking that you can't change, like, it was just a piece of hardware. Like, the U.S. SNES... Consoles. All you had to do was like take a pair of pliers and rip out some pieces. It's like performing open heart surgery on it, and uh, hope that it works. Because <laughs> if you do the wrong thing, then your console's just busted. Um, and also, back in that those days, the internet was much less reliable. So if you're on a message board, you just kind of have to hope that the strangers you're talking to are honest and tell you the right thing, and not just telling you to gut your your Nintendo. For no reason, and uh, but it worked, you know. And it's it's the kind of thing he tells that story in the book about how he imported it for an exorbitant amount of money, and his parents were really supportive, and they got this expensive import game for his birthday or something, and they allowed him to try this strange player's take it apart your console technique <laughs> on their expensive home console that they played as a family. I'm, su- I'm surprised and, that worked uh, out. It all worked out. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. But, like, the way he tells the story is really engaging. And, like, he ends the chapter at a really dramatic moment of that story. And then the next chapter picks up and finishes it, obviously. But it's, it's, he's really good with his words. He's very captivating. Um, you just want to keep reading more, which is great. Especially for someone like who, me who generally isn't a big fan of reading and often get a lot of flack for that but, um, like, I, I didn't want to put it down. And it's, it, like, the book isn't just about Final Fantasy V, it's about the things surrounding it, the time that it was released, the culture, like, otaku culture, how it looked then compared to how it looks now, the anime that was spawned, that was inspired by Final Fantasy V, um, the region locking and importing, the rise of the internet, etc., so there's, there's a lot that it talks about to give the reader full understanding of the situation, of the time. Um, like, all the perspective that you need to understand why this happened, why this didn't happen.
0: So it's more than just criticism uh, of the game. It's, like, history. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's not like 150 page review. Not at all. It, it does delve into the reasons why the game is so good, and why it, people should give it another chance, or give it a chance if they haven't. Like, he talks about parts of the game, and so why this is good, and why this doesn't necessarily work. But it goes so much deeper than that. Um, it, I don't know, it's just, it's really, really good. The, the, a couple parts that jump around a bit, and feel a bit awkward and misplaced, but it all comes together in the end. Like, when he first starts talking about otaku culture, He's just finished talking about something else to do with the game, and then all of a sudden it switches to oh, in the early 90s in Japan, being an otaku was a really frowned upon thing. It was really bad culture. It wasn't associated with good things at all. There's like a three and a half, four page blurb about why otaku culture was bad back in the day, but how it's morphed into something good now. It didn't mention Final Fantasy V. It didn't mention Square or anything to do with the rest of it. It just seemed a bit abrupt and strange and like i said Mm -hmm. misplaced but then later other parts he talked about tied that together so i I feel like it's the kind of thing that needed to be said but wouldn't really slide in well anywhere but so he just threw it in here and then later on it oh okay it's it's relevant now so i'm glad i knew that information i gave earlier even though it seemed a bit strange then now it's tied all in so
0: so what, what kind of uh, topics and criticisms does um, Kohler get into in terms of Final Fantasy V? like what makes it special? Why, why write about that compared to the other games in the series?:
1: uh, One of the big things, probably the biggest thing about the game is the job system, because at, by that point, Final Fantasy One and Three both had job systems. Three had evolved from one, and five further evolved from there. And the the difference though was the depth of it. You know, in Final Fantasy one, you start the game, you have four characters, and you choose one job for each of them out of six. So there's a lot of combinations you can do, but you play the whole game as those jobs. You can't change them. Your characters are nameless, faceless, you know, people because they're always changing jobs, so they don't have any depth. Three, it's a bit different where you're still four nameless, faceless heroes who have jobs, but you can change them throughout the game at certain points. Uh, where five, all four of your characters, it's the first time they used the job system where the characters had their own stories. Like, I think this was the first time they figured out how to implement stories with ever changing jobs. Cause you know a lot of the times like, Oh, this guy's like in Final Fantasy four. Cecil is a, uh, paladin, or he's a dark knight who becomes a paladin or whatever. And that's, his story. If he changed to a white mage, it wouldn't make sense. If he changed to a monk, it wouldn't make sense. So a, lot, so a lot of people, the job that they have is a lot of who they are. So it took a lot to figure out how to incorporate changing jobs in a system that still gave the characters depth and meaning. And so that was really important to them. And it wasn't just like having six jobs to choose from like the first game. They had like 20 to 30 jobs and every character, like, it's so you don't think about when you're playing, but there's a lot of work that went into that. Uh, drawing one character sprite is, you know, a decent amount of work. Drawing the five main characters sprites, there you go, there's a bit to do. Drawing all five characters sprites with 25 different outfits each for each individual job, that took so much time and effort and work, to do that, and it's something you don't think about. You just change your job from a black mage yeah. to a red mage, and hey, they've got new outfits on. Cool. But all those sprites took so long to do. and But it's one of those things that they were really glad with the effort that was put in at the end of it because it was so worth it for how they all look. And I'm honestly only touching the, the surface of it. There's so much depth to the job system compared to the first and third games. With how it works, the mechanics of it, and ways that fans have figured out to play it over the years that the creators never even intended. You know, like, it, are you familiar with the Four Job Fiesta? That's another thing he talks about it is, uh, fans, sometime in the last 10, 15 years, you know, started playing Final Fantasy V. They want it, they've played it before, they love it, but they want a challenge. You know, people do. Like level one runs of games, speed runs of games, just something to add a different dynamic and a different challenge. And it started off as just two people playing the game simultaneously, and one saying, "Okay, I can only use these ten jobs. You can only use those ten jobs." And so, by limiting themselves to a certain amount of jobs, it gave them, it made them think of different strategies. Like one of them would have a white mage, that means the other didn't. One without a white mage can barely heal, so how are they going to manage? So you have to think of different ways to work around it. And it, from there it evolved, like it grew in popularity and it evolved into the four job fiesta where people like to this day will play Final Fantasy V using only four jobs. Throughout the game, there are four points where you can unlock more jobs. So each of those, like there's scripts written. You can just go on Twitter, talk to this Fiesta bot, and it'll spit out four jobs for you to play the game as randomly. So from the first group of jobs, you can only use one. Second group of jobs, you can only use one, so you can switch between those two. By the end of it, you've got four jobs you can use. And it just makes you really look at the ways you can play and the abilities of characters that might seem useless, like a bard. You know, usually it's just some buffs, and it's only really helpful in select situations. But there might be weapons that the bard can use that are exclusive to the bard that really give him an advantage in, uh and when comboed with other jobs, so it's again it's difficult to explain. But the book does a really good job of going into the specifics of it. It just it gives so much more depth than the creators ever imagined.
0: Now, is there any insight from any of the people who actually worked on the game, or is it just critique?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, there's actually throughout the book, like, from page one running through to near the end, is he keeps jumping back to an interview he conducted with Hino Sakaguchi just last year, specifically for the book. So for anyone listening that's not familiar, he is, like, the father of Final Fantasy. He is the director of Final Fantasies 1 through 5. 5 was the last one he was accredited with the director role. He was producer from 6 onward until he left, I think. But uh, so he, he got a lot of insight from Sakaguchi about why five was meaningful, the effort that they put in, uh, what he thought of things like Four Job Fiesta and fans kind of playing the game differently and, and it's really cool because the, the way he opens the book and the way he closes it both are, uh, work with the Sakaguchi interview and, and how he bookends it is really Meaningful. I'm not going to say how, but it's worth it's worth reading. Like, it opens up as a cold open, and then at the end it ties back to the beginning, and it's like, oh, that was really nice. So, uh, there are a couple blurbs throughout the book as well from other past interviews with other members of the team. They're taken from, like, interviews in the 90s, interviews in the 2000s. But uh, the one of Sakaguchi is running concurrently throughout the book from an interview he had last year, and that's really neat to see, reflecting on it 27 years later. Interesting. Mm.
0: So what's one thing that, in terms of the actual writing of the book, what's one thing that worked for you as a reader and maybe something that didn't work so well? I know you touched on the the way that the writing can be a little jumpy in places, but do you have any additional things you'd like to add in terms of the actual construction of the, the book?
1: He's, Kohler's got some really great turns of phrases, like fresh spins on old sayings and stuff. Like, the, He talks also in the book about the rivalry between Square and Enix before they combine to become Square Enix. Because Square was doing Final Fantasy and Enix was doing, doing Dragon Quest. And for years and years, Dragon Quest, at least in Japan, was obliterating Final Fantasy in sales. Dragon Quest came out first. It, it was like, what, defined? Final Fantasy, it was inspiration for Final Fantasy and from there when the first Final Fantasy came out and it just exploded they were from then on trying to catch up to Dragon Quest and one of the big things Final Fantasy 5 was one of the things that helped push them ahead before 6 VI and 7 um really cemented their what's the word superiority <laughs> to Dragon Quest as a whole but there's a a bit how uh they're talking he's talking about how Dragon Quest never really picked up in the west as it did in Japan. To this day it's like household name in Japan. People love Dragon Quest over there so much more than in the States. But he talks about how Final Fantasy really clicked with western gamers for some reason, but Dragon Quest didn't. And there's a bit where he says like, "Oh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it by Dragon Quest." And that's just such a strange thing to say, but I actually laughed out loud when I first read it. I thought it was so funny and so clever. Like, I didn't expect that at all. But, and he does that multiple times with different sayings. And he just makes it Final Fantasy related or whatever. He ties it with the book. It is just a regular saying that you've heard time and time again, but spun for this. And I thought that was really clever. He's really good with that. Cool.
0: Alright, so do you have any closing things you'd like to say? And I'm, would you recommend everyone else check it out?
1: I would absolutely recommend everyone check it out. If you've never played Final Fantasy V, I would recommend playing Final Fantasy V. But if you're still on the fence, read the book first, because it'll give you that insight, it'll give you that uh, depth that you may be missing. You might have loved Final Fantasy VI and think nothing can beat it. You know, this was written by a guy who played Final Fantasy VI before V, because that's how it released. 4 came out, then 6 came out, and then he helped translate. That was another big part of the book, is he was part of the group that made the first fan translation of Final Fantasy 5 that's still downloaded and used to this day with emulators and ROMs. Um, and so he's got a lot of knowledge and insight there as well. It's a game that helped him learn Japanese. So... That's another big part of the book. But I I would recommend it to anyone who wants a bit of insight into uh, fan translations or localization or Final Fantasy as a whole or Final Fantasy V. Because like I said, it's not just about Final Fantasy V. It talks a lot about 1 through 6. It touches a little bit on the later ones, but it mostly just focuses on those early ones because those are the ones you can most compare it to and give the perspective around. But it's definitely a book for anyone who considers themselves a Final Fantasy fan. Uh, if you love 5, if you've never played 5, if you're interested in 5, buy it. Read it. I highly recommend it. Fantastic. I uh, I would give it 5 crystals out of 5.
0: That is many crystals, Zach. Alright, and I... That is many crystals. I guess that's it, huh?
1: Yeah, I think so. Alright, so, Zach... If, if, if you're looking to pick it up... It's not yet released. It comes out in October this year. It's as you said before, it's part of season four of Boss Fight Boss Fight Books series. Uh, that series or that season also includes upcoming books based on NBA Jam, Shovel Knight, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, and Postal, which will be released periodically from October, starting with five. FF five that is. Um, the Kickstarter that's going right now uh, it ends on the twenty-first to the twenty-second of this month. They've already reached their goal, so now they're just going for stretch goals. But you can uh, back it for twenty-five dollars to get an ebook subscription to all five books for the season. So that's basically five dollars a book. Um, the the paperbacks when they come out will probably be like fifteen each. But yeah, so this one, will, the Final Fantasy Five, will be coming out in October.
0: Yeah, I'm su- I'm super excited about the Star Wars one. Uh, Kotar is yeah. like one of my favorite games of all time, so can't wait to check that out. Yeah,
1: it's one that I never got into, but I have friends that like lived and breathed Kotar for two years.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so many playthroughs. All right, so Zach, thanks for joining us. Thank you for your review. Hey, thanks for having and me. And if you heard this review and you thought you want to check it out, I'll put the Kickstarter in the in the show notes. So, all right. And- Back to you, Stan, in the future. All right, that was great. Thanks, Stan from the past, for hosting that little snippet of a of a review, and thanks, Zach, for reviewing it.
2: Thank you, Zach. It was great, awesome. Well, that was what a great review, Stan. That was that was fantastic.
0: All right, he did such a great job.
2: Indeed, Zach, you're always welcome. to The show, I miss you, buddy. Come back soon. And that is it for our first topic of the show uh let's move into comic book pools so stan what's on your list today or uh, this week
0: so this week generations wolverine and all new wolverine is out uh, finally this this is the one that i'm definitely for sure picking up um yeah it's written by tom taylor who writes all new wolverine the art looks great and i can't wait to read it even though it's five bucks
2: but it's it's old wolvie and new wolvie and it looks so good and i love the cover um, well actually there's there's a couple of covers. One of them looks it, lo- it lo- basically looks like a Alex Ross painting and it looks so dope. That's the one. Oh, it is Alex Ross. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I am tired. I'm sorry, audience. Um oh my gosh, I just looked at the Alex Ross cover. It's $75 cuz Alex Ross. Oh my gosh. Okay. Maybe not that. <laughs>
1: but not um, that one.
2: But uh the regular issue the cover is drawn by George Molina or Jorge Molina. I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name, but the art looks super cool. I think in in, in the the standard issue, Laura's in her X Force costume, the black like the black and yeah. silver one. Yeah, it looks really dope. I love it. And then you got Logan in the classic uh, yellow and black and blue.
0: And my second poll is Street Fighter versus Dark Soccer's number four. It's great. They like Ken got like bit by a dark stalker zombie and he turned into violent Ken. So... Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and they they like knocked him out. Like Sagat like knocked him out and they're like dragging him around. It's it's fun. It's like
2: wait, sorry. wait is, is Sagat like dragging him around like Michonne? Like and like it's like a, a giant chain wrapped around. No, he's just violent, like kid's like, body. He like
0: physically knocked him out, so he's like carrying him. Oh So they man. don't know they don't know what to do with violent Ken right now, but like, it's great. There's like, it's just you have like Street Fighter villains having to work with Street Fighter like good guys because of the Darkstalk, and they're like crossing over with the Darkstalkers, and you have like Gil from Street Fighter three teaming up with Jeddah from Darkstalkers, and they're like trying to like bring back the devil or something. It's it's, it's a pretty great series.
2: Excellent. Yeah. Cool. Uh, that's that sounds awesome. Um, Generations Wolverine is also on my pull list, so I completely missed the. I I have no idea how I this slipped my mind. But Super Sons has been going on for a while. Uh, issue number seven's coming out. I mean, this is a kind of a bad place to jump in because it's part four of a, a mini arc, but I'm still gonna get it just just for one of the variants coming out. Um, Dustin Nguyen. Uh, is drawing the cover one of the Gavarian covers for this week, and I love Dustin's work. Uh, he he's most well known for Little Gotham. Uh, his art style is really cool. It's like a bunch of these uh, really fantastic, f- sort of fantastical watercolors. Um, and I cannot recommend Little Gotham enough. Um, i actually got to actually this was New York Comic Con 2015, I think, uh, when we were all together uh, for for one of our summits. And I remember, I think Andy was with me. Uh, I got to see Dustin, and he autographed my trades for Little Gotham. So it's really cool. Uh, other than that, I'm going to get Dark Knight's Metal number one. So, um, in the past few months, uh, we had two prequel comics. It was like dark, dark Days, the forging, and the casting, which is leading up to basically. DC Rebirth, like first Crisis level event, and this is centering around Batman. And this sounds completely ridiculous and over the top, and it it, it really does sound like like someone took like the aesthetics of a classic '80s metal album and just sp- splatter it together with Batman. So, um, so what? Ha- so the premise is prior to this, Batman uh is running around being the world's greatest geologist searching for this mysterious metal called the Nth metal uh apparently this metal is uh like co- super cosmic and a powerful in nature and it's been seeded subtly um throughout the past DC comics canon of uh, one for example uh if you read Batman Endgame um we find out that the Joker gets like revived or healed through this one particular rock called Dionysium, which is uh, impl- heavily implied to be an eth metal. So uh, Batman's doing that, and we also find out the reason why Joker hasn't been around uh, for like basically all of DC Rebirth. Uh, Batman basically was keeping him prisoner in a in a sub basement room in the Batcave, but Joker managed to get out. It's implied that Joker has obtained some sort of really crazy cosmic knowledge or insight, I presumably based on the Rock, and it's teasing uh, the the crisis level event of of Dark Knight's Metal, where basically there's this dark shadow multiverse that exists. Um, this in, this entire world is like the upside down, or is like similar to uh, Warhammer Forty K's uh, the Warp or the Imperium. It's like this chaotic volatile sea of subconscious thought and emotion uh but all like the base and darkest desires and the dark multiverse is going to invade our universe and it's being led by the this team is like the nightmare batman so like these they're like these dark evil sh- stands of batman's uh personas uh, or various aspen's personas and they take form of, like, super deformed and monstrous forms of the Justice League. The main villain, uh, or the main art, uh, master of this, of these Dark Knights, is the Batman who laughs, and he hasn't been revealed yet, so it sounds like, a, like a, like a, I don't know, I, when I read that, I was thinking of, uh, the Square Enix Play Arts Kai, um, Joker's figure, where one of them looks like a joker Batman, but super anime. And it looks really cool. That's like my image of what I think about the Batman in the last but um, This comic looks insane. It's basically an 80s metal album in comic book form. Like the cover is basically Batman wreathed in flame, tattered cape. He's wielding two battle axes. So, too good. Um, so, I'm really excited for this. So, yeah, that's it for my pools. I'm uh, really excited about Dark Knight's metal. Um, it just looks so insane and ridiculous. And Scott Snyder, you know, you can't keep him away from Batman, even though he stepped away. He, you know, he just he keeps coming back.
0: He's the Hulk Hogan of Batman comics, basically, except not racist.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah, I have no. I'm like way super burnt out on event comics, so I'm taking a, a hiatus from collecting them. So please let me know how this is going. Mm. I I would love to be updated, but I just don't don't have the energy to. To collect, you know, all the... Because it's not just the event and I got to go and I got to get the tie-ins and et cetera, et cetera. Just just... wait for the trade. That's fine. Yeah.
2: But uh, let's move on to our next topic or order of business. Um, So uh, this weekend, I went to Otakon 2017. Woo! Uh, Woo! Uh, this uh, This was a pretty interesting time because... Um Otakon means a lot to me. It's uh Philadelphia was my first ever comic book convention which was I think, 2009 or 10. Um uh, but Otakon was my first ever convention in general. Um cuz I I think first and foremost I I'm like more than anything I'm always like to be a anime manga fan and uh I remember my first Otakon it was in 2007. Uh this is yeah, this is when oh, when I was about to graduate uh, from from high school, and throughout high school, I was always involved like the anime club. I became president of the anime club, and I just love anime. And um, I'm not actually I'm not exactly sure how I found about Otokan. but uh, everyone. Oh, and you know what? Uh, I I I retract that statement. There is this really awesome fan film called This is uh, This is Otakadem. Which is basically a fan film when they cut uh, snippets of anime, like like from Sailor Moon or like or Evangelion, all these classic eighties and nineties anime, and they cut it to a movie and they redub it and they make it into like an anim- anime uh, pastiche or story about a bunch of anime characters going to Otakon for the first time, which is really great. It's uh, I really recommend it if you can still find it. Um, so that's how I, I, f- I was first aware of Otakon and that first. Otakon in, in 07 uh, I think it was my first time in Baltimore as well. It was just so wild and I've been going to Otakon ever since and this is the first year that uh, the, the, that Otakon moved from the Baltimore Convention Center to the Walter E. Washington Convention Center Otakon is, like, is one of the largest East Coast anime conventions uh, so it's a really big place and it just got bigger and bigger over the years um so much so that it couldn't uh like it could not like the bcc could not fit them it was just it was over over pop cap and it was like a fire safety issue so this year they moved to the walter e convention center uh which is quite a lot bigger than the bcc and it's in washington dc so it's literally in my backyard um which is which is a great change of pace um and I think it was a pretty solid okay start for Otacon. Um I think I think in terms of numbers, uh, it seemed pretty pretty healthy. And I think DC's a little bit more um, I wanna say it's a little bit more conducive to Otacon in that there's like a lot more hotels and you have yeah, the metro system, which really sucks, but you still have the metro system, um, and the Walter E. Convention Center is still a big, a big place. I feel like Otakon is still adjusting to the size. Uh, I felt like there was a lot of like empty open space, which is like a double edged sword. I mean, unlike New York Comic Con, you're not starving for air or starving for to for room to breathe, which is great. Um... I think the, there was some really great cosplays, and I did hear some issues with a lot of panels being canceled. Um, uh, but, I mean, it's the first year. It's a new convention, and, I mean, on one hand, that's your job, but two, I they're still trying to get into things. And anyway, from what I've heard from multiple inside sources, uh, Autocorp can sometimes be kind of mismanaged and disorganized, but in general, I really... I think they... I think they really nail. I think they nailed it. I think it's a good strong start, and really looking forward to see it continue and grow. Um, in terms of stuff that I did this weekend, uh, so I picked up my badge Friday night, and I didn't take off work. Uh, Otacon, as as of as of now, when we're recording this, is still going on. Um, it's, it goes from Friday to Sunday. I I I I bounce, uh, bleh, I bounce from work. Picked up my badge, and just on a whim, uh, I got uh, concert tickets to Jam Project um, and TM Revolution. Uh, the 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 tickets were like pretty pretty reasonable. I think they were like twenty five online and thirty at the door. Um, So I I saw Jam Project, and oh my god, that they they were it was so epic. Um, uh, For those who don't know, Jam Project is this crazy Japanese uh, like 80s 80s like hair metal like power metal band. Uh I think like if ACDC was in Japan was Japanese and they did songs for like anime uh and uh and um it's it's just so good. Um their most some of their most well-known songs are uh the theme song to One Punch Man and the theme song to Super Robot Wars Five. They do a lot of mecha anime themes, and they're, it's all like crazy power metal. Um, they were amazing. Like I've never seen like, like a bunch of fifty year olds like rock out so hard. Uh, and like, um, they're really really humble, and um, they were really engaging the fans, and it was just a wild, wild time. Uh. And this is the first time back in the United States. The first time I think they came here was in Otakon uh, 2008. Um, and then nearly 10 years later, they're back. And they absolutely killed it. Uh, other than that, uh, it was a, I didn't really have much of a plan. It was just a bunch of meandering. Uh, I saw a lot of cool cosplays. Uh, I actually cosplayed, um, like I said before many times, my, one of my favorite animes of all time, and especially this cast season is My Hero Academia So I cosplay as Deku The main character uh, I literally dyed my hair green just for this and for work um, And I picked up a, uh, One of the uh, School uniforms uh, Painted some boots Some, some belts um, And it was really fun, it was really cool I got to see a lot of Hero Academia cosplayers uh, I saw a really cool Aku uh, cool, uh, cosplayer uh, The cosplay game was strong this year um, other than that, it was a lot of wandering through the dealer's room and Artist Alley. Um, and I only went to one panel, but it was really cool. So uh, Men in Arms are forged. So you have uh, Matt and Ilya and the rest of the the team at Baltimore Knife and Sword. Uh, they're very famous. If you haven't heard of them, definitely check out Men in Arms on YouTube. Uh, they basically recreate fantasy and anime and historical swords in a document the entire process. And they're really awesome. Uh, they've done some great swords, like the Master Sword or the Kill a Kill Scissor Blade. Uh, recently, they did Roadhog's hook shot or hook blade uh, from Overwatch. Um, so they, this one panel was called the Utakatana panel. So basically, the the, the organizers of Otakon uh, wanted to get... Uh, they uh they wanted to acquire like a traditional piece of japanese uh they wanted a katana but made in like the truly authentic way so they hired Ilya uh to uh create uh this katana um and, kita- uh, and Ilya he's like super crazy smart and so philosophical like, he knows like everything about uh uh sword making techniques and the philosophy uh Behind aesthetics and design. Uh, so you went through the panel uh discussing uh how it was made uh the 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 Otakon katana is beautiful um it's um I'll I'll post photos to it to our uh, Facebook group Facebook slash uh, group/ supernerpals and uh, it, it was it's literally a work of art and they also did a uh, a tatami uh, cutting demo. So uh, a sixth degree master from the capital uh, dojo. Uh, it's is this uh, kendo Aedo Kenjutsu school, uh, I think in North Virginia. Um, so he wielded the Otaku katana, the Odakan Katana and did a bunch of demos. He, he was cutting up the tatami uh, mats. Uh, it was awesome. So that was the only panel I attended this year, but it was easily the best. It was so good. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm really happy to to go there and meet, your, uh, meet a bunch of friends or, or uh, reconnect with them and just hanging out. So Oticon was a success this year and I'm really glad about it.
0: Cool. Sounds great.
2: Yeah. And Stan, um, for your topic, you're going to talk about near Automata.
0: Chris, have you played near Automata?
2: I've been struggling with my queue. Like, I'm still on Persona Five.
0: But you have it, right? I have it. All I right. have it.
2: And I, I just I just know it's it's definitely up my alley.
0: Um Chris, you need yeah. to stop playing whatever you're playing and play near automata.
2: Yeah, I see cosplays for it all the time. There's a lot of co- near automata cosplays, uh at Otokon. I see them all the time when on my convention strips and uh it just looks I just like I every everything that I've heard and seen about sounds amazing but Stan give me the pitch dive me in so I lose I I take a staycation of three weeks I play nothing but near
0: it won't take you three weeks because it's not that long but um, near automata that game got me fucked up. (laughs) <laughs> like I just
2: in a good way, or like a existential crisis in
0: a <clears throat> way, or, or both both, both all oh, nice. um in a year where there is a new Resident Evil, a new persona, a new Zelda, and a new Mario, near automata affected me in a way that I none of those games could exist at this point because this game <sighs> I don't even know where to start with with telling you about this, um so all right. It's developed by Platinum Games, right? Uh, Yokutaro directed it. It's published by Square Enix. So already, that gives you an idea of like what to expect. Um, the gameplay—it's an action RPG. Uh, plays very much like Platinum's other games, so like
2: um Rising, Revengeance,
0: Metagre- Bayonetta, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's an action RPG where all the act, all the action is that kind of like high energy, multiple combos, dual wielding weapons and whatnot. And um it moves the way you play the game, it, it moves between that sort of hands-on combat to more of like mech like bullet hell s- sections and even hacking like other robots initiates a sequence that's very much like a bullet hell where, where there's just these enemy components that are firing bullets at you in every direction. And you have to like navigate to like hack things. Um, yeah. But like it, but not even talking about like the gameplay stuff, the gameplay stuff is great. Like the actual story of the game is wild as fuck. And I don't want to give too much away about the story. Cause there's like a lot But to give you an idea, you can play through the game one time and spend your average amount of time with it, like 10, 15, 20 hours if you want to do all the side quests. Um, And then you get your standard boss fights, you get a final boss, you get something of an ending, but after the credits roll, you get a little message in your inbox from Square Enix PR team and it's like, hey, listen, we know you just beat the game, but start it again in New Game Plus. Trust us. Really? And <laughs> I would argue to say that the game doesn't start for real until that second playthrough. Um, it just does things with its meta narrative and its multiple playthroughs that affected me in a way that I haven't felt since Metal Gear Solid 2 when you're, like, running through Arsenal gear at the end, and the game starts talking to you directly and starts telling you to turn off your game. um, <laughs> It just... near Automata, like, reached through the screen and, like, stole a piece of my soul. Like, <laughs> poltergeist. Like, it just came straight through, and it's, like, no you. And it, like, took me. And it, like, seized me. Like, the first playthrough is kind of standard fare. Like, for a, a Platinum game, there's, like high-octane, high, high octane, over-the-top anime bullshit, like, in a good way. You know, it's like... Humanity has retreated to the moon, aliens have come and, like, created this race of, like, machines that have, like, taken over planet Earth, and the only thing that can stop them is this group of androids called the yorha unit who was created by humanity and they have to go in and destroy all the machines with giant mechs and swords and their fists um so there's lots of moments where it's like giant robots fighting even giant robots and (laughs) just lots of stuff like that but then you get to the end of the game and then the following playthroughs and it just gets deeper like deeper like a pit there's like it goes from that goofy anime stuff to like just something very serious and tragic and disturbing and existential questioning like the purpose of humanity and what is humanity and what drives us and just like (laughs) these very like intense like things and it does and it does this through its, like, its characters, and its scenarios, and... You... I don't even know... The the game, like, unfurls itself like a flower. It becomes deeper and more complex the more you play it, um, to the point where you can go through three different new game pluses, and the story keeps going. And it just... Yeah, I don't know. It just... Does things in a way that I've never seen a game do things where it's just like, oh, you know, a new game plus doesn't mean you're retreading like old ground. It just opens up different things that you didn't expect to see and takes the plot deeper than you ever expected it would go and questions these things. It's like if Gurren Lagon had like a baby with ghosts in the shell and its uncle is like Evangelion. It's That's like awesome. it's like that kind of That's, thing.
2: That, I'm sold. I need, I need to... Okay, you know what? Stay out. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to bounce right now. I'm going to get close to the podcast. I'm going to play right now. This is why
0: I'm telling you, like, you need to stop whatever you're playing and, like, seriously play through near because it's like... I played through it three and a half times... Um, well, I, how
2: long how long have you been playing it? Like or when did you start? Like a couple weeks ago? Or? Yeah,
0: I started like I had it since it came out, but I haven't mm-hmm. gotten around to it because the persona and all this stuff, right? But um I played through mm-hmm. I'm about 35 hours of playtime and I've already played through it like three and a half full playthroughs. Um wow. it's okay. really dependent on like what you want to do because there's like a ton of side quests, and there's different side quests depending on what playthrough you're currently in, right? Um, There's different routes. So it's like A, B, C routes. And um, so there's a lot of side quests. There's a lot of things you could do. So you can definitely, I could see you inflating the amount of time you stick with near up to like 50 hours if you wanted to. But the first time through, um, I did some side quests. I did some like, you know, whatever. um, Because I wasn't expecting it to do what it did after the first playthrough. So I got about 15 hours in the first time through. And then the second time through, it's like, it is new game plus, even though new stuff is happening. So you, you retain all your, your skills and your level and your money. So it's like an easier time, but all the enemies scale with you too. So you, so you start a second playthrough, let's say you're level 40, all the enemies are level 40 and it goes from there. Um, But you generally have an easier time, especially because you know, sort of the world and you're not kind of thrown in this time without any knowledge of it um and yeah so there's 26 endings 26 <laughs> there's 26 wow. endings each one has a different letter so you go a- you go a through z um That's insane. there's about five main endings w- which are like actual endings and then the other 21 are sort of alternate endings or bad endings or joke endings depending on what you do during the game Um, So, like, if there's a section where you need to save somebody, and it's important to the plot, and you decide to go in the other direction, you'll get, like, a bad ending that's, like, 2B decided to go take a walk, and it was very refreshing, but when she came back, such and such character was dead, and then it's, like, it gives you the the end credits, like, at super speed, it goes, and then it just loads you back up. Oh, no.
2: Not like this. Mission. Okay, uh, and are still recording. So.
0: Okay, so yeah, this is gonna this is gonna be kind of a pain in the ass. I'm sorry, Chris. Ah, no, it's There's fine. like yeah. ten different audio files. Anyway, where was I? Uh, you were talking about um oh the you you were two B walked off. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So the alternate crap. endings. Yeah. So there's like a ton of endings. There's five main ones that you get through your multiple playthroughs, um, and after you beat it a couple times, you get the access to um, access the chapters in the game so you can immediately go to the areas where you would get the alternate endings and just see them. You don't have to play through a whole nother playthrough. And it, it's great if you want to like go back and experience certain parts of the story um, which you might because it's it's like wild. It's really just a crazy time. And um, I really like the character progression. It's not you level up and but you're not really in control of your stats per se um, the way you bulk up your characters through these chips that you collect, which is, like, because you're an android, you're, you're 2 um, and so you get a certain amount of chips that you can upload into your, like, person, I guess, that does different effects, and you can sort of mix and match, they have different values, so you might start with, like, 16 capacity, and so you can use those amount of chips to, like, sort of customize um, what your character does, like, yeah, so you can customize, let's say you want to do more critical hits or you want to be able to dodge faster, dart or let's say there's certain chips that'll let you auto pick up items on the field so you don't have to run over them and like pick them up with a button press. Um you collect them like got of war, you know, like when you're running around and like the orbs just come to you like that kind of thing. Um you can do things where when you, as soon as you dodge, time will slow down for a certain amount of time, and you, over time, have enough money to sort of upgrade, so you can take in more chips that lets you add more abilities and stack other abilities. And you can combine like chips to make more powerful chips that'll give you, like, bigger bonuses. Um, so let's say you have auto-heal one that'll heal you for, like, hp per second if you're not in battle you can upgrade that all the way up to like plus four which will give you four percent health every second that you're not doing something so um and on top of that you have these um os chips that are like on board when you start and that controls things like being able to see the enemy health bar being able to see your own health bar being able to see things on the map seeing save points um your XP bar and you can uninstall those things if you want to like actually customize your actual Oh
2: I rem I remember seeing this on i like, was like Kotaku where like they literally removed it, the entire like the HUD and it's just yeah so you was, can like, like awesome. customize
0: the HUD with these chips and it'll actually give you more space if you want to like sacrifice a part of the HUD to like give yourself a better skill set um like i remove the xp bar i remove the indicator that lets you know that your skills have recharged like your cooldown meter like i pull i pulled that out um you can pull out your own os like your actual like operating system but if you do that you <laughs> die instantly so that's not that's, That's awesome. its own like bad <laughs> ending if you wanted to do that, but like obviously if you remove that you die, so you want to at least keep the OS chip plugged in. But you can pretty much remove anything else if you want. You can go completely HUDless, um, if you if you like. Um, so like it has those different things and it's cool if. Um, there's like certain visual effects, so like if you're currently being infected with a virus, or if somebody's hacking your system, the menus itself will like start bugging out, so like things will like start glitching, like in your actual pause menu, and yeah, it does it does crazy stuff like that, and I don't know, like.
2: So what what, what I'm what I'm hearing is, even though I haven't played this yet, this is my game of the year. <laughs> this sounds so good,
0: Chris. I'm not joking with you. Like literally, I said a new Resident Evil, a new Persona. Um, a new Mass Effect, a new Zelda, a new Mario. It, this is gonna be a fight at the end of the year because I, at this point, I don't see anything like dethroning this game that I did not expect. It wasn't even on my radar until like it came out and I heard some good things and I played the demo. Even the even the first playthrough, there's like some stuff that hints at some bigger things going on, but you can pretty much play through it straight and not have. Anything really be amiss because it plays kind of straight the first time through as like your standard like anime action RPG stuff. Then you go in the second time and it just blows the lid off of everything and it completely like subverts your expectations of what not only this game is but what games in general can be in terms of just the way things completely change just loading up a second playthrough like a new game plus. And it just, it asked all these like deep questions and like, I've ne it made me feel things that I've never felt playing a video game before. Like,
2: I, I eat up that shit, like, like deep subtext and like dark philosophical commentary or political commentary. Yeah, I'll eat that. that. That sounds, this is, this is my cup of tea.
0: Yeah. There's like, there's like shits where like robots are trying to emulate human behavior and it just comes across as like very disturbing, but it's just like. You know all of the characters in the game like literally all the characters in the game are either machines or androids they're all some kind of artificial life and it just really, really grabs grasps at these like strands of like what constitutes humanity like who is allowed to feel certain emotions like are are you alive like what how do you define what being alive is and like and it does it like in a really great way where it doesn't just throw all this exposition at you it does it through its characters and shows you different archetypes of like machines and androids kind of emulating different types of like what they perceive humanity to be and it's just there's so much there it's like reading like a really good book and then going back and reading it again and like getting this whole different perspective on things with like the knowledge that you knew from the first time through and yeah i went from like not knowing who Yokutaro is
2: to like fall like he has like a really cult like really outlandish media personality like he i remember reading about this uh recently where he attended like some square enix uh meeting or conference and he was wearing like that creepy moon mask to it so i he he's a rock star yeah he
0: went he went from being a complete unknown to me to being one of my favorite video game like developers like, he just, honestly, in in one game, he, like, ranked up to being, like, on the same level of, like, Hideo, like Hideo Kojima to me. Like, in, in one game, Chris, do you know what it would have taken for that to happen? And, I'll like, uh, here we are.
2: I'll, I mean, like, your standards
0: are pretty high. I went back, like, seriously. There, there were a couple moments in the game that completely blew my mind where, like, I had to, like, put the controller down and, like, and, like lay like, backwards. Off. Like, I had to, like, there was one moment late in the game like my second or third playthrough that completely like floored me i put the controller down and i just lay down for like a few minutes trying to process what i just like saw it's crazy and um i'm as soon as i like i got the platinum in the game so i got like all the trophies i i did a lot of the side quests i didn't get all the endings um but i got 20 i got 25 out of 26 endings the last ending is it requires you to do all like up like find all the weapons in the game upgrade all the weapons completely and then find and beat the super boss like the secret super boss which is like he's level 99 so like that's a lot of work so i'm not going to do that anytime soon but yeah so i got all the endings except that one Mm -hmm.
2: um i i have two questions for you one what other works was this uh toku oh my god What's his name again, Stan? Yokotaro Yeah. So, two questions. Uh, what other games has Yoko Taro worked on? And two, I've heard like mixed things about. I don't know what exactly. Maybe, maybe you can clarify. So, this is separate from the other Nier games, because Nier is like a spinoff of the Draken Guard games, and I feel like yeah, Yoko Taro I is different. But I'm like, I mean, even before playing this, uh, just from reading like Polygon Kotaku, uh everyone's clamoring to rediscover the the original near games. And I'm, I think they're going to do a remastered bundle collection of the OG games. That's, that's pretty cool. I hope
0: so. Because like, no joke, as soon as I finished automata, I went and bought the first near. <laughs> so I'm waiting for that to come in the mail because I just was like, I can't believe I missed. Cause I heard the first near does some stuff similar that this one does in terms of like different playthroughs and stuff. Um, Yokotaro worked on the first Draken Guard, near and now near Automata. So the near timeline is apparently an offshoot of the Draken, like one of the endings of the first Drakengard Guard. That's like a a bad ending. So this is like near is a sequel to that specific ending in the first Dragon Guard that also ties into the third Dragon Guard which is a prequel to the first Dragon Guard and then you get NieR which happens thousands of years later and then you have NieR Automata which happens thousands of years after that.
2: Okay, I was going to so... I was gonna, I was asked to clarify that cuz Dragon Guard sounds totally fantasy but now that... Now it takes place like one millennia, two millennia on. That makes a lot more sense.
0: Yeah, so Dragon Guard, those games are very much fantasy. I never played those games, but I'm about to go back because what the fuck just happened with <laughs> Automata, right? So apparently ending E of the first Dragon Guard takes place in the year 2003 in Tokyo, modern-day Tokyo. <laughs> so imagine playing this fantasy game, and then you get this ending that's like, well, now it's 2003. <laughs> So that happens and then several hundreds of years later the events of NieR and then thousands of years after that is like the events of Automata. So we're going like way like it were this timeline works on a scale that I've like never seen before and there there are threads connecting those games but you have to kind of find them. You can play Automata without any knowledge cause I I did obviously, but you can play it without any previous knowledge from any of the other games, but it seeds in enough things that I immediately wanted to go back and just discover what those threads were, because it does, there are some elements that are carried over from near, like, certain... I don't want to give too many things away, but there's, like, certain elements and characters that kind of find their way into this game, so which is great because it's like I feel like um, an archaeologist. Now I need to go back and find out what happened in the past. So now I'm going to do I'm going to do that with NieR. Um, but yeah, like I it's not a NieR Automata is not a perfect game. There are a couple things that I wish were done a little bit better in terms of like fast travel. You like don't unlock fast travel until late in the first game and then you have to do it again in your other playthroughs, but overall This is, like, the closest a game has come this year to being, like, perfect for me. Like, I I can't recommend this highly enough. It is 5 out of 5, 10 out of 10. Everybody who considers themselves someone who likes playing video games and likes weirder games absolutely has to play this. Like, I... Chris, if you only play and beat one game this year, it has to be near okay. Automata*. I'm not, I'm, I'm like, not I'm like kidding.
2: I want to like record myself just to just to see the reactions because like I want my mind blown and then I want to relive the experience of like I don't know. We've been talking a lot about like live streaming or YouTube stuff, so I would love, or maybe, or maybe we we could just do a playthrough together, like sh- screen share, and, like we just. React. I would means, totally means...
0: be down for that because
2: yeah. I, I, I'm going into it like well, I mean, we you didn't really spoil anything but I'm mostly going in blind, so I, I think that'd be really hilarious. Like, oh, Stan's just, he's just in the corner, just waiting for like, this big reveal, and then, like, my brain explodes, and, like, like oh. Yeah, yes. it's like, yes.
0: I would even go as to, as far as to say that beating the game is not even beating the game. It's more, like, set up that each playthrough is, like, another chapter of a larger story, or, like, another volume or book of like an epic a more epic tale so you go in and it's just like here's the next thing here's something you haven't seen yet so it just i hope that's not too much of a spoiler but like i feel like the game the game didn't start for me like really start until the second time through
2: well for me like when i just from all the hype it to me it just seemed like the -the over-the-top high-octane anime bs which is totally my cup of tea. Like, like my, my when you tell me things, it, it reminds you like Kill a Kill or like Gernlogin, and I, that's my cup of tea. But then, you know, you are just selling me even more. I've just been pushing off because I I am just weird and I have this massive queue and P five is over here and Battlegrounds is over there. But now I I have to get my priorities in order.
0: Yeah, it won't it won't take you too long to play through. Like I said, I I got almost all the endings and did almost all the things that there are to do in about thirty. 30- Five hours ish, so I I definitely recommend it, Chris, because we need to talk about this fucking thing okay. in, in more okay. depth. We need to do like maybe a spoiler cast or something, and we I, need to I'm talk. Down. We have to talk about this at Game of the Year because I need to pull off my gloves and like go to bat for this thing. Cause, okay, geez. so
2: yes, and okay, so uh, I was just looking up any new updates for for Yokotado's uh, game development uh, queue. Um, so, are you familiar with this game's called Sino Alice? It's spelled S caps S I N, lower caps O and then all caps Alice. Uh tch, tch. Okay, so okay, I'm reading blah blah blah. So this is this came out July 21st, uh 2017. Uh so quote this is from Dual Shockers. Quote Today, Square Enix released a new trailer of the Near Automata crossover event that will be held within Yokotaro's own mobile game. Oh, this is a mobile game. Okay, so it's Sino, Alice in August. Uh it's written by Yokotaro himself. Music by Near Automata composer Keichi Okabe. Um 2 b 9s A two and their boss Buvar. Will also appear, and their weapons will have their own dedicated weapon story. So, okay, so so basically, there's a it, there's a mobile game set in the Near Automata universe, um, and they're doing a crossover between Sinnoh Alice and Near Automata. So I don't I don't think you played this mobile game, but no, I... but that's something something new to look forward to. Um, I if you get like a VPN and then download it from the Japanese store, I maybe, will say
0: this though. Final Fantasy Brave Exvius, which is the mobile game for the phones, has a crossover now with NieR Automata oh, so you seriously? can like Yo. you could draw you can like summon characters from the the NieR games. So that's all I awesome. don't that's so I'm awesome. playing that now and I had no interest in playing that before, but I just need to unlock like these characters like 2B and 9S and stuff. I just yeah. That's how much this game has grabbed me that I just need every like piece of it.
2: Mmm. You know, I want, you know, I recently um what's it called? Decidia, the new Decidia that's coming out, uh Ject was recently announced as a playable character. Just just throw in, throw in the new automatic characters. That'd be awesome. Or or maybe like, I don't know. M- maybe Titus or Orin gets like a 2B skin. <laughs> that would be, be awesome.
0: You can um Gravity Rush 2 has a 2B skin <laughs> that you oh, can download right. now.
2: Oh, I completely forgot about that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's like I'm I'm so happy this game has blown up the way it has because it it absolutely deserves it. And it's the biggest surprise of this year for me. It's like it does for me what Doom did for me last year where I just it came out of nowhere and just punched me right in the face. Like it's great. It's fucking awesome. Excellent. And that's all I have to say about it right now until you play it. Great. <laughs> yeah, well,
2: we, uh, we'll make make some YouTubes. We'll do a spoiler cast. Uh uh, maybe we'll have like some spin off thing where we'll just just dive deep into philosophy of near automata like i I'm down for that I because yeah. like, awesome. like 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 seriously, like from what even before you you mentioned it outright, like i the feeling I got was like Gurren Lagan meets like Ava 'cause especially with that crazy existential mind fuck at the end, like I need all of it in my life right now, so yeah, so thank you, Stan. I'm really excited that like I'm. Major hype, and uh, that's gonna be. I'm glad one. I did
0: my job to make you want to play yeah. this game. Cause... Uh,
2: I mean, I love traveling, but I wish I had one of those mobile PS4 rigs. Um, you know, like it's like this container with like a built-in screen and like a battery pack, and you just take your PS4 on the go. I just want to play mod on the road.
0: <laughs> well, if you have, a, if your laptop is gaming ca- capable, you should do PS Now. Um, remote play through it.
2: Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I, I did that. I did that. Oh wow, that was already two years ago. Um, so I don't know this. I don't know it's like jumping the gun, but Stan and I are really interested in doing YouTube content. And I did some experimenting like two years ago on uh 426 Alien Day, where I recorded um some gameplay of me playing A- uh, Alien Isolation, and then that's how I did it. I, we I was using I was playing PlayStation to my laptop and capturing stuff with uh. Um, was it yeah it was either like Elgato or the OBS uh, but yeah we'll see what happens I'm excited so like, yeah we should I'm definitely ripped. do something yeah. for near because yeah. it's great dude we'll just do it we'll just do it like Griffin Griffin Justin McElroy you know just there's screen share and then we react and then crack jokes that'd be good yeah cool well I'm hype thank you Stan that was an awesome review
0: yeah no problem
2: yeah 11 out of 10 chips something like that <laughs> <laughs> Um, cool. So that's it for, uh, episode 123. Um, we got some Otakon, we got some Final Fantasy, we got some Nier. Uh, so lots of, lots of Japanese, uh, fanfare everywhere. I love it. Um, so if you enjoyed Stan's amazing, uh, epic soliloquy about Nier, or if you like. Otakon, or or you really enjoyed the review of of uh, or Zach's review of the Final Fantasy book by uh Boss Fight Games? Was it Boss Fight Games?
0: Boss Fight Books.
2: Bo- oh yeah, Boss Fight Books. I'm sorry. Oh, I am so tired. um So give us a shout out. Give us a tweet, a message. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at SuperNerdPals. Uh, you can go to our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash SuperNerdPals. Uh, you can even shoot us an email. Um, so shoot us an email at pals at supernetworkpals um, If you want to have, if you, you want to, if you want us to answer some listener questions or just have a comment from a past episode, we're more than happy to address it on the show. Um, you can find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Acast, uh, any, uh, any, or m- most of of uh, the available. Um, podcast players uh if there's one that we're not that we're not on well you can always find our rss feed and you can upload it uh, don't forget to like share rate and subscribe uh, especially tell your friends share it um, uh, also it's very important you can give us uh or look us up on itunes give us a review um give us constructive feedback uh the more positive reviews you get uh, the better the show gets exposed on iTunes, and we always want to make the show better. So just give us your constructive feedback. And we love hearing from you guys. Uh, so Stan, where can everyone find you on the social medias?
0: I'm Stan Gdersky. You can find me on Twitter at Stan Doom.
2: And I'm Chris Sampson. You can find me on Twitter at Kyo Ninja for Hire. That's K-Y-O Ninja for Hire. And you can also find Zach on Twitter at uh Zachary P. Lyons, that's L-Y-O-N-S. Uh Zach, if I got your Twitter wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you can also find Andy on Twitter at Sweet Justice One, that's Sweet Justice O-N-E, and Ryan at the Red underscore or um, the underscore red underscore horror. uh We miss them all, and hopefully. They'll be back soon. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But this has been Stan and Chris in the morning on 123FM Radio. Super nerd Pal. Stan and Chris in the morning.
0: Signing off.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Peace out.
0: Thanks for listening. Yeah, old hat T-shirt. Yeah, old hat t